Hello and welcome to the Rethink Energy podcast, where the Rethink Energy uh, analyst team talks about the technology behind this week's energy news. I'm editor Peter White. Uh, we've got solar analyst Andres. Hello. Hydrogen analyst Bogdan. Hello. EV analyst Connor. Hello. And we've got our product manager with us as usual, Simon Thompson. Merry Christmas. All this discussion on all these podcasts is built around the stories we've published. Normally they go out the evening before the podcast on the Wednesday evening. And uh, they're in our free issue, weekly issue, which you can sign up for on our website at www.rethinkresearch.biz. All you have to do is click on energy and you can sign up there. On this week's podcast, um, we're going to talk about just how important Canada's critical mineral strategy is to support the US Inflation Reduction Act. We also assess the news that the European Commission has launched its Photovoltaic Industry Alliance. This is a, a plan to develop 30 gigawatts of solar manufacturing um, by 2025. Can we do that in Europe? And we'll look in detail at one of those suppliers, um, a European solar manufacturer, Mayer Berger. We see this week that it has another major push into perovskite, and we ask if that will make any difference to its fortunes. And then Simon will ask us questions on one or two of the shorter items we've published on the energy transition. But first, let's talk about how Canada will make sure there's plenty of minerals available for battery and solar supply in the US economy. Connor. Yes. So Canada has introduced its updated critical mineral strategy and brought them in line with those in the US, those in the UK, and those with Europe. As previously, it had a few that were missing, but now that they've updated this, they've named 31 minerals in total and are putting emphasis for the $4 billion in funding towards a key six, which will be key lithium battery metals of lithium, nickel, cobalt, graphite, copper, and also towards rare earth metals for advanced magnets, which will also be needed. Now, this has only happened as a result of the IRA. The Inflation Reduction Act has brought forward a reasonable business case for raw material from Canada. I, I just think it's an amazing business case. It's like saying, uh, look, we don't really want to dig up our country. You're nearby. You're used to digging up your country. So we're going to need all of these minerals, and they can only come from America, Mexico, or Canada. What do you think? And then suddenly all you've got to do, your government's got to oil the wheels. I mean, $4 billion is not a lot of money. But then again, it's it's really, it's more about per- permits, isn't it? Exactly, yes. It's really not a lot of money, especially in comparison to the IRA. One and a half billion of this four billion will go directly towards supporting individual projects like the IRA has done and how a couple other programs from the, I believe, the uh, DOE has done. The main onus behind this will be to accelerate permitting. And And how are they going to do that, do you think? I mean, are they just going to just let everything through or are they going to put some more resources behind the permitting process? They're definitely going to put some more resources behind the permitting process and they're, I'm imagining, already increasing headcount there. Within this project is an element of pretending it is something it isn't, a lot like the IRA, in that they outlined five targets, which were to, first and foremost, economic growth and expansion through primary resource expansion, which makes sense. The other four, which is promoting climate action, 
reconciliation with the indigenous people and increasing that, increasing diversity, increasing security of supply are all nice, but they are heavily, heavily secondary and get in the way a little bit of the first one, which is obviously increasing economic growth, which if that was your sole concern, you would just say, we don't need a permanent system and the, and just allow anything <laughs> like. Yeah, I don't, you, yeah, you need to live in America to see that that would be a disaster. Um, you know, America, uh, I think there's a Lou Reed um, song that uh, kind of says, uh, they'll they'll pour battery acid in a river. Just you know, I mean, people just are completely inconsiderate to the environment in some parts of uh, American industry. Um, and and if uh, although Canada is not America, uh, it, it sometimes can be a reflection of it. And um, it's this is it, this is odd that it's going to be a reflection. Canadian industry is going to be a reflection of uh, American ambition here. I mean, yeah, they are going to grow side by side, but, uh, you know, they want Canada to be at the wrong end of the uh, food chain, uh, just providing the raw materials. And they want all the factories to be in America. I was going to say, fossil fuel advocates would jump all over these environmental concerns. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, so, again, the only reason that this is even being put forward is as a result of the IRA. Because, as it quite likes to mention, Canada has extreme mineral resource wealth. It has all of the battery metals in relative abundance, and no other Western nation can really make that claim without some pretty major concessions. Has, and, it, has it really got enough? Uh, you know, I mean, it's all about, is this economically accessible? I mean, it's all very well saying it's got a lot of cobalt, uh, but where is it? And uh, do you need, you know, if you need to build uh, a 500-mile road um, just to drive the cobalt out of, of where where it's found, um, suddenly you know four billion dollars are not looking so so hot, and yeah. uh, it's going to need a lot more. I mean, I, you know, mining companies all over the world are not dumb. They know and can balance the costs of doing mining in one place compared to another. Um, they know the richness of the seams. They know um, what it's going to cost to buy access. They're, they're, they're pretty good at this stuff. I'm all right, yes. Yeah, so if permitting is reduced, then the costs in Canada come down. And we have seen a lot of announcements over the last couple of weeks of, of mining companies opening up new frontiers um, in in, uh, in the US and Canada um, because the uh, economics are changing slightly. But already, you know, how far out of kilter? This is my worry. In 10 years' time, the Inflation Reduction Act money is all played out. It's all gone. We've, we've built access to new minerals in new places, and the, the uh, startup money for all that is, has been spent. And then suddenly, without subsidy, all of this is no longer economically viable, and China just marches on. That is a very, very valid concern. But at least if I was in charge of the policy here, you don't have a hard cutoff date in December of 2032. You would taper that down and you would hopefully, by that point, have made some pretty major gains upon your marginal cost. Yeah, having production for this and day. you'll measure it as you go, won't you? Yeah, it, yeah, you'll measure the efficiencies and you'll consult and you'll say, you know, can you now manage on your own? And industry will always say no, 
but if if it's a transparent process you can say yeah you can and uh you know and but that's what we saw with solar you know all the solar companies that started up in america i mean americans are prone to saying they invented uh, pv they didn't but they did have a very early market lead, as they often do in many technologies, because they're very quick to invest in new technologies. They're very good at investment. Um, and suddenly, um, China, yes, it was subsidising its uh, industry somewhat. We don't know to what extent precisely. And and the, the solar industry runs on wafer-thin margins, uh, no pun intended, still. And yet... You know, no, no American business, hardly any American businesses have survived. The only substantial one is First Solar, which picked a different technology. Um, where, um, and because of its thin film uh, technology, um, it's closer to a semiconductor manufacturing process, i.e. it's because it's more advanced that it's managed to survive, um, at, you know, because advanced techniques matter in thin film. So... Um, so, yeah, it's a technology business rather than a commodity business. And everything that is a commodity business, the Chinese are going to do cheaper. Everyone's going to do it cheaper. Africa's going to do it cheaper. You know, I would have thought that an abundance of uh, minerals would be found in Latin America and Africa more than anywhere else. And, you know, but, but the, the IRA <laughs> just cuts that out. That's also where ESG concerns come in, because we've seen in Europe and in North America how there's much more focus on the sustainability of operations. You don't get that in Africa. That's partly why companies avoid cobalt like the plague, because of the social and the yeah, environmental. Yeah, that's true. But look, the right way to go about this is if you look at, you know, all of this stuff is joined up. Here we've got the European um, Union at the moment. Uh, and, and America and a few other countries funding, uh, and we mentioned it in this week's issue, um, Vietnam to you know, dump its coal plants more rapidly uh, in, in return for some money. Well, that money will come with strings attached and, and it, will have, um, it will have some human rights issues attached to it as well. I mean, you've got more control if you're providing money into an, into an environment. Same in Africa. If you're providing... If you're helping them move to solar rather than coal and you're providing some of that money, then you've got a bit of leverage and you can start saying, you know, you can't use 11-year-old children to mine cobalt and, and, and maybe they'll listen to you. But you don't have any leverage if, um, if there's no cobalt anywhere else in the world and, no, and, and other buyers are not asking those questions. So I think, I think this is all joined up and I think that, you know, the European approach... Uh, and its proximity to Africa, we'll probably get more out of Africa in the long run by working with it and providing it with financial support. And that's more of a competition between China versus Europe. Um, and and uh, I, I don't know to what extent, I mean, I've, I've read the IRA, I'm probably the only one who has read the 755 pages of, of text in the Inflation Reduction Act. But, but... I can't, still can't work out whether you're allowed to take uh, ores from uh, other parts of the world as long as they are refined inside America. So I'm still not quite clear on the fact of whether or not you can buy from Africa or Chile or, or any of these other places. Um, and I'm not even sure that the people who wrote it know. Uh, anyway, so obviously Canada's, Canada's going to respond in this way. I think the IRA is pulling the whole 
um, energy transition out of shape. Um, the question is whether the new shape is better than the old shape. Uh, we know that uh, it's caused a delay to things like solar. Who wants to fund a solar project right now if, if in February or March you can fund it with subsidies uh, and make more of a margin? You know, that no one's going to install solar for another quarter. Uh, America is getting further and further behind. Batteries are, uh, no one can, can really, at least you can't establish a battery factory if, if you can't supply it with raw materials. And if those raw materials um, bar you from getting a subsidy for your eventual car, um, then there's no point in doing it. So uh, there's a lot of thought needs to go in to supply chain in order to comply with the IRA, that thought will lead to at least one year's delay. On the one hand, we had President Trump not interested in these technologies and that delayed investment. And here we have Biden interested in these technologies but wants American ownership of them. And that is also creating a delay. I mean, when, when is there a point where you say, you know, there is a merchant market for all these services around the world, we can buy from um, friendly powers, you know, but there isn't because China dominates 80% of manufacturing in solar and probably close to 70% in battery. So um, it's it's very, and also you can't tell what the percentages are because half of the stuff that comes out of uh, uh, Asia is from China, um, as we learned from the Commerce Department last week. So it's, it's a really... Um, yeah, all of this is joined up. I think this is a very small thing. I think IRA is pulling everything out of shape, and here it is pulling Canada out of shape. Um, and uh, the Canadian government's jumping on the bandwagon. What type of a what type of a return is Canada looking at here? Assuming it's going to sell all the mining data to to the USA, can we even put an estimate on it? Because I mean, like you said, four four billion sure investment too. seems fairly small. When you're talking about four billion investment, it's supporting that, and it's the report and the strategy looked at the overall effect on its economy, and it was looking at about I think they were saying four billion. There was four to six billion annual return. Well, if you're only spending four billion, then you get four to six back for ten years. That's that's a pretty pretty good good business, especially with regards to like the IRA Act supporting it. It's a no-brainer. We got to understand this very carefully. If it says the materials can only come from these places, you're not competing with the rest of the world. Your prices mm-hmm. can, in fact, be higher. And they are subsidised, and, and, and they end up with the uh, product at the end of the day not being more expensive. That's fine while the IRA money lasts. But at some stage, all of this has got to stand on its feet. So what you're, you're saying is, for $4 billion, they can get 4 to $6 billion of revenue per year um, yeah, for 10 years. At the end of that, they've got to compete on the open market like everybody else. And that is going to be a, a, a reality that's fairly, un, it could be unpalatable at that point. Um, still, that's not a bad return on investment. 10 years at... at uh... Let me just see if I can find the number quick. I'll update you later. Okay. So let's talk about the European Commission. Uh, we've been critical in the past that, uh, about any manufacturing in Europe. Um, th- you know, where it relies on something highly technical... Europe's quite good at it. Um, so it's, the European Commission has launched its photo, photovoltaic industry alliance. Um, and we're expecting to have 30 gigawatts of solar manufacturing 
by 2025. Uh, Andreas, can you give us an idea of what we've got already, how far we are from that target and how realistic this is? Well, across the West, if you're talking about avoiding uh, China, you've got 100,000 tons of uh, annual polysilicon production, which is actually enough for the 30 gigawatts. But, uh, you know, America wants some of that, and some of it actually is in America. I, I don't quite remember how much is in Germany versus how much is in the US, which is where most of the polysilicon is. So Europe has about half the polysilicon it needs. It's got about 10 gigawatts of module production, and I think it's got maybe a gigawatt of cells and almost no wafers. Uh, it's got some SIGs, which isn't even silicon. So it, it doesn't have most of this uh, right now. And, you know, I got excited when I read the headlines. I thought, oh, that's a good story. Um, but then as I um, read more into it, it's this, this photovoltaic manufacturing, uh, what's it called? The Photovoltaic Industry Alliance uh, is connected with a bunch of other e European Union related NGOs and I'll just read you a little bit from one of their press releases. And it says, once set up, the alliance will bring together industrial actors, research institutes, consumer associations, NGOs, and other stakeholders, uh, et cetera, et cetera, cellular industrial value chain, uh, supply chain, access to finance, off-takers, partnerships, uh, supply chain resilience, uh, circularity, sustainability, and skills. So there's a lot of bureaucratic jargon here. And I mean, some of these things are quite important and, and you do need a, a plans and you need, you need cooperation and, and partnerships and technology and so on. But what you also need is about $10 billion and they're mentioning everything else. You know, they're not mentioning the $10 billion. Slight matter. Um, you know where that money will come from? It'll probably come from American and South Korean banks. Great. Well, I'm glad to hear it because, uh, you know, I, I was almost falling asleep when I was writing this, reading about all these things like circularity and upskilling. Oh, my God, what a horrible word. Why can't they just call it training? Um, so I ended up really annoyed and sort of negative by the time I finished writing about it. Uh, I mean, and when you've been around as long, as long as I have, you've seen uh, re reinvestment in manufacturing and skills in Europe um, ad nauseum. Um, and nobody reads the, writes the press release 10 years later that says, all that money we spent, it was wasted. Um, sorry, that industry has <laughs> now capitulated. It's been acquired by an American corporation who's moved all the R&D jobs to America and, and, and left the skeleton staff in place. I mean, you, you only got to look at GE uh, when, it, when it bought things like um, it's... Um, uh, it bought a European uh, wind turbine manufacturer uh, and promised the French government that it would keep uh, loads and loads and loads of jobs in France. Uh, just completely reneged on the deal and didn't spend the money and, and did nothing. You know, it did the opposite. Um, and we, we see this every time uh, Europe tries to build itself up as a manufacturing base. Um, that's what happens. You know, the uh, ultimate thing is to get the investor... Uh, eventually, investors need to own this and that it needs to be profitable. And of course, as soon as you throw on European rents, European wages, European taxes onto something, um, it's automatically not profitable um, uh, on a world stage. It's, it's, and I've seen this for, for 40 odd years. Um, it doesn't change. Which is why there's no European Facebook or Google or Apple. So we used to cover, I used to cover the set-up industry. And the largest set-top maker in the world was Pace, a small mm. northern English company. And it was 
four times the size of the company, the American company that bought it. Because on the on the English stock market, Pace was valued at almost nothing. And on the American stock market, something that was a quarter its size was valued at, at 10 times the size of Pace. So it was easy for them to find the money to buy Pace. And, and that's now all wrapped up in a, a single entity in the States. So that, that's what happens. Um, you know, it, and it's about the efficiency of the market. And the, I mean, European investors um, in stocks and shares and high-tech stocks and shares undervalue them incredibly. They, they're just confused. They don't know how to do it. They don't know how to value these companies. So every European company looks at its exit route being acquired by an American where the American shareholders do understand it. Um, and and it, that's not changing anytime soon. The only way it might change is when some of those acquirers are Chinese. And that doesn't make it any better. But so, I mean, if you go on straight away to the next item, I mean, we've been talking and we, we see one a candidate for this very much as Mayor Berger. And, and Mayor Berger... Um, it's a really interesting company because it used to, it did exactly that European thing is we, well, we can't really compete making solar panels, but we can compete in making the equipment with which you make cells for solar panels. Yeah. I mean, that's if more I, if technical or more jump, difficult. If I can jump in a bit, it's a, it's still a technologically leading company and it used to supply all of the Chinese companies with uh, advanced production line equipment until eventually the Chinese started to make it themselves at a lower cost, which is why it switched to manufacturing or which it's currently. No, it's not it's not 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 quite true. There was a concern that China would make it at a lower cost. So uh, a a corporate adventurer bought into the business and forced the business to change its business model in case China suddenly stopped buying its equipment. And, hmm. and because they stopped R and Ding the equipment, then China stopped. So this was this was somebody being proactive uh, and aggressive as a, as a shareholder and forcing the pace. Um, that's that's interesting because that created a complete schism between Mayor Berger and the UK's Oxford PV, which seemed to have a five year lead in um, actually manufacturing tandem solar panels, um, perovskite plus um, uh, plus silicon. So um, they were going to help them. They were going to do the um, heterojunction part of it. They were going to basically make the uh, make it a two terminal system rather than a four terminal system, and and integrate the uh, stuff uh, inside the module. And it was going to be revolutionary. Uh, and they had solved all their manufacturing problems, which no one else has yet. Um, and, and it was all going to happen. And then they fell out with one another in 2019. And for three years, it's Oxford PV has sat in limbo. Now Mayor Berger has, gives up with Oxford PV and has gone and partnered with um, a chip company, uh, CSEM from Switzerland, uh, a solar materials group, um, Helmholtz Centrum, and uh, the Fraunhofer Institute, uh, as well as a couple of other uh, you know, it, it, this is like it came straight out of your press release, uh, Andres, that, that they were going to partner with uh, um, educational institutes, Brandon Institute, um, the um, Solar Energy Systems in Freiburg, the Institute of Photovoltaics in the University of Stuttgart. Yeah, they're, they're building a kind of research base that says we're going to stay ahead of the Chinese by using, by having these links to R&D 
uh, in universities, and we'll we'll pick up all. all. And it's the same. Uh, I mean, it looks like the, the same person wrote this press release. Wrote wrote the one for uh, the previous story. Um, but but um, that's what they've actually done, and they've effectively replaced Oxford PV. What what everyone forgets is they were going to sue each other because Oxford PV had a, 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 a um, an agreement with them and was was giving them full access to all of their technical information. So, and I'm not even sure if that agreement is even cancelled yet. Uh, I know that Oxford PV wanted to cancel it, but perhaps they can't, um, because they were almost a 20% shareholder in the business. So um, this has taken three years to get a new source of expertise in, uh, in Provskite. And these were the great white hope that we're going to make Provskite happen globally. This was the European lead. It's being frittered away by... Um, in legal fees and arguments. When they, on this press release, they put out saying that they're gonna build um, a, a tandem in Europe and they, they're not gonna mess around. They, you know, we know that they're producing, um, you know, they're planning to build three gigawatts of tandem. That's the class of manufacturing they're meant to do um, and rising to six. So your, your, your European commission wanting to, uh, uh, get to 25, that's a big chunk of it, is Mayor Berger. Um, and I wonder if there's another big chunk of it that's actually Oxford PV licensing its technology um, through someone else. Um, no one's talking. I called up Oxford PV and they said, no one could talk to me. We don't speculate on other on what's going on at other companies, even if we hate them and we're suing them. <laughs> um, and, um, and then I asked to talk to the CEO and they said he's not well. Um, I wouldn't be well if I was running that business. I put out a press release for 18 months. Um, you know, so it's, 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 this is the sickness which makes European manufacturing uh, all centred only in Germany. Um, and, um, and it looks like that's where Provskite manufacturing is going to be centred, um, despite the breakthroughs we've had elsewhere in Europe. Can you just remind me of the benefits of perovskite? And okay, so, so really simply, uh, a tandem system has one layer absorbing um, uh, certain wavelengths of light and another layer underneath it or on top of it absorbing other wavelengths of light so that you're converting uh, uh, light to energy uh, at a far more efficient rate so that you break the theoretical maximum 30% efficiency line. And, and that's what everyone's now talking about in Europe. The only way we're going to have a manufacturing lead is to not make very much, but make it really, really advanced um, above the 30% line. So we know we're talking about um, perovskite um, silicon tandems or some other tandem, i.e. two layers of absorption, um, preferably three if you include a kind of bifacial layer on the back, but I don't think we've got to that yet. Um, so I, I, th I think... Um, yeah, I think that's 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 Europe's push, which is to let's go really technically advanced, and maybe the Chinese won't bankrupt us for a while. And I would, uh, even though I'm, you know, I just said I was negative about European manufacturing um, because it isn't, it doesn't seem to be directly subsidising manufacturing, and it also isn't excluding Chinese products. So it, why would it happen? Um, I still think that Meyerberger can do this with perovskites because it, it, Meyerberger is a big name. It's uh, technologically advanced. So are their partners. Uh, what was it? The Fraunhofer and Helmholtz. Oh, yeah. Central. 
those are those are also yeah. uh, highly prestigious. Um, so yeah, they, and perovskite itself is different from silicon, um, even if you combine it with silicon. As far as like commercialization and competition is concerned, it is it's different. It's not trying to outstrip. It's not trying to outplay Longi and Jinko Solar at their own game when they've invested tens of billions. And get, guess what? You don't need a new supply chain to build it. <laughs> you know, because perovskite materials are cheap and easily made. That that's that's what everyone's. That's why Europe is is not got an IRA. The other thing that we've got to remember is it's illegal to subsidise things in the European Union. Um, they get sued by the World Trade Organization, which is mostly run by America. Uh, the the Inflation Reduction Act is about to be sued by the World Trade Organization, either at the uh, request of Europe or at the request of China. They're queuing up because subsidies are supposed to be against subsidies and only buying from your own country is completely verboten you know, in World Trade Organization language. That's what we're all retrenching into. We, we are, you know, so what does this mean for the future of the World Trade Organization? Is it broken? Is it gone? Will it close? Will membership cease? Will the Chinese not care about it anymore? Uh, yeah, I, I think when this amount of money is thrown at problems, going back to the Inflation Reduction Act, that's the sort of outcome you get. Uh, the other thing I just wanted to mention is NL. We, we picked this up in their um, in their Capital Markets Day, talking about building three gigawatts in Europe um, of solar above thirty percent. Well, that's gonna that's got to be a tandem because it's not feasible any other way. Hmm. So, the, the, so, you know, the NL thing is, is a, and they're doing it with a partner. They just haven't named the partner. Now, if that partner turns out to be Mayer Berger, then Mayer Berger has almost got a monopoly on, you know, in Europe already. If it turns out to be Oxford PB, well, then the, the two warring factions just are just scaling up the war. Um, mm. It's interesting. Um, and there might be a three to five year pe period when uh, these companies do okay. Uh, I still think that if they then go public in Europe on the European market, it'll be valued at fourpence and first solar a buy. <laughs> I want to mention uh, um, a couple of perovskite stuff that I put right at the end of the issue um, in China. So, so this is there's one. There's a. Did you see them? I, I don't know. There's a Chinese car maker, um, Ali Auto Electric. It's formed Aeolian Solar, and that's just a perovskite startup with $7 million of initial funding. So that probably doesn't matter. And they say that they'll make a production line in five years. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But there's a, a bigger story, which is Utmo Light, which is a perovskite company I've heard of before. They claim that they actually have a 150 megawatt production line running, uh, their pilot line. Um, so maybe it's still just making test products. Um, what are they saying? They say, and they say they have good efficiencies. They have um, eighteen percent efficiency on a thirty centimeter squared um, module size. That's that's very good by perovskite standards. And um, they say they're going to sell to the building integrated photovoltaic sector. So that means they're not they're actually not doing a tandem. They're just doing perovskites by themselves. I'm pretty sure so that they can fit it easily yeah. on facades and things. So it, it, I just thought I'd mention that. Yeah, but uh, and in reply to that, I'm just pointing out that the, the German uh, research companies have hit have hit um, thirty percent on a similar size um, cell, um, and that they that Mayer Berger also launched a um, roof tile um, for BIPR in the same way. 
So, um, I mean, it doesn't seem as that advanced. The difference is China, Chinese companies carry on making stuff and find a customer. Uh, European companies just tend to not be very successful. doesn't matter how advanced the products are. Yeah, sorry to have a downer on, on all things European. Um, it, Simon, you got anything for us? You got you know, one or two items that you uh, want to get more yes. on? Well, I was intrigued to, to read about a, a new um, hydrogen corridor in Europe called um, H2MED. Uh, okay. Well, that'll be bogged down. Yeah, basically, it's just a continuation of um, Europe's plan to get off um, reliance on natural gas. Um, so the, the corridor, basically, it's a partnership between uh, Spain and Portugal and between Spain and France, um, because um, we expect hydrogen to be produced in Portugal because of good wind and solar resources. So then they have a pipeline between Portugal and Spain, and then ports link between Barcelona and Marseille. So to make the link between uh, Spain and France to transport it all the way from Portugal to Central Europe. So, that's so, so this is so we literally we're already at the stage where people are planning to build hydrogen pipelines, specialists from scratch without without adapting natural gas pipelines. They're at least at the planning stage of doing that. Yeah, there's still think everybody out there who's got the anti-hydrogen hats on. Um, <laughs> just just remember, you know, you heard it here first. Hydrogen is a new industry and it is coming to a town near you via a pipeline. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Okay. That's, that's, you've got to be pretty confident to start planning uh, a pipeline route. It's a, this is once a week a, a project on this scale. We've been for maybe the last two or three months, every single week. And that's just the projects we pick. The, the, yes. Some, yeah. Some yeah. that we haven't got space to write about. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, I mean, I, I wish we had a running total because no one's got a running total of how much money has been promised to hydrogen. Better still would be a running total of how much has actually been spent. I mean, uh, there is only this concern that what people are doing is just planning the future and they, they haven't really put their hands in their pockets for real money. But when you listen to people like Fortescue, you kind of realise, yeah, they have. They have put their hands in their pockets. They have real money. But not at all of these will put... will. Um, come up with projects which actually go ahead. Um, the hydrogen, the anti-hydrogen brigades tend to think that all of them are backed by oil money, they're not, um, and that it all involves blue hydrogen, none of them do, um, and that it can't be economically viable, they all are. So, I mean... And the also about the technology uh, They do, well. you're they right. Are. They definitely go on about the technology, and uh, it's like we've never had hydrogen, never handled hydrogen in our lives before. There's an 80 million ton market for it already, but it's, no, we've never handled hydrogen. Uh, you know, uh, no engineers have managed it successfully. Wrong. Uh, so, yeah, it's not that, that difficult, technically. But it is, you know, uh, we've had people telling us um, that... Um, yeah, we had an email last week, didn't we, Simon? Somebody saying, I'm an expert in this, and it's it's really quite challenging. The fact that he's employed doing it is, is, is evidence um, that, that people are spending the money on something that is challenging, but, but that they, they know they can fix it. I love engineers. I've got to say, I hate economists, <laughs> and I love engineers. Engineers just literally say, okay, there are probably 25 ways I can do this, and there's probably six ways I can do it cheaply. Let's see if I can combine all six of them in a clever, clever, oh, look, I've done it. And economists say that's not possible. Uh, and that's all they say. And 
and then and then the market moves on. Um, you know, it's the it's engineers for all the world, not economists. Anyway, just my personal opinion. All those engineers out there, and I apologise to all the economists out there. Change your profession, retrain retrain as engineers. <laughs> so, if I quickly address the um, numbers for the Canadian yeah, mineral yeah. strategy, yeah, you go, ahead. you go ahead. Originally, I was thinking about combined tax revenue. So the numbers are actually quite a lot higher for GDP. This is based on a report by Clean Energy Canada, which they are citing, which I would need to go further into their technical report to assess the validity. They're saying it could contribute between 5.7 and 24 billion in GDP by 2030 annually. That upper end is going to be assuming a lot of things that are probably untrue, so I'm going to take the lower end. But even then, that makes up for it, even if the IRA expires and then yeah, I'd take the middle the, the middle number. I, I'm sure it's going to be close to the upper end. However, um, yeah, ex- exactly. Once the IRA expires, or well, most of the money's been spent, it's it's going to be a, it's going to change the formula. And uh, yeah, everyone, it's great to have a, a ten year uh, window on revenue, but um, countries need um, twenty thirty year windows on revenue um, if they to really plan. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's a sample of what we wrote this week. I think um, um, if everybody uh, wants to read the original stories, you go to www.rethinkresearch.biz. Um, on the top menu, you click energy, and you're straight into our weekly analysis, which is free. It's free, and it's there to encourage you to go to our forecasts and data and to buy some of the forecasts that we make um, uh, throughout the year. Um, the... Um, We've, we've just put up an, a new solar um, solar numbers for the Q3. Um, we've, we've just pu- recently published um, uh, a strong opinion on uh, FERC transmission. We also published how we forecast, the secret of how we forecast and get it right and how everyone forecasts and gets it wrong in the energy transition. So we've actually uh, published that as, as a, a paper. So you, you buy into this service, you pay one fee, and you get uh, access to, what, 2030 reports that are there, 2030 reports are coming out next year. So um, that's um, the end of this week's podcasts. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it, and we'll, we, we will be taking a break for Christmas, and we'll be back with a, an issue on the 4th of January and a podcast on the 5th. Thanks, Thank you, and goodbye.